Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. What do you say you want and what actions are you doing that correlate with that? And if they don't correlate, Mm. then there's no integrity, right? And if Um, there's no integrity, then your word is not meaningful. And then that creates an internal conflict that then lowers confidence because you're going to say something, but you're going to counteract it with your actions. So how can you even trust yourself if what you're saying you want, you don't even put effort in to do? That's a savage truth right there. (laughs) Know that there's levels to life and what you currently know is not all that there is to know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of life is following the understanding of what there is to know and, and loving that. Like life isn't done that you haven't failed because it's not over. It's not over. If it's not over, there's still time. There's still time. You could still be who you choose to be in this moment that changes the trajectory of everything. You could be the generational trauma eliminator. You could change the course of a business. You could change the dynamics of how a community operates by who you choose to be in the moment. That's on you. That's possible. James Ellis, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, brother. I'm honored to be here. Dude, I'm so excited to have you. Last time, your episode crushed because it is the conversation about how do we understand our minds? How mm-hmm. do we understand performance? How do we understand presence? <laughs> how do we understand all of it? How do we get better at being in this world? Which I think yeah. is a pretty important subject, especially given all of the... I mean, there's always fuckery going on in the world, but there's just so much explicitly being you know, blasted at us yes. and it's, it's on the news all the time. And in the last episode, you talked about how our brains are wired for imagination. And that doesn't seem to be how we baseline our operating or operate. And so I'm curious, mm-hmm. how does that even, like, how do we get, if our, if our brains are wired for that, yeah. why do we seem to be more worried or defensive or protective? Yeah. You know? Well, I think, The circuitry is there for imagination, but we are designed for survival, not for greatness. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to be great, whatever one defines greatness as, one has to rise above survival and utilize these higher level faculties that we all have access to, which brings us into the point of like it being wired for imagination. 
why imagination being tied to awe, curiosity, um, just these these moments where we aren't as big as we seem, right? Mm. There's this uh, term called unselfing. The more we have experience to awe moments, inspiring, um, curiosity-rich moments, we realize that we're not as big as we are. Like this world is massive and there's mm-hmm. so many things going on and, and we can get out of the me, 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 which seems like a lot of the focus today and get into more of the environments, more into the conversations, more into the life that is all around us that we seem to be either not paying attention to or not uh, fully squeezing as much as we can out of. And so then we have a very restricted, narrow um, kind of self-imposed prison that we all live in thinking it's someone else's fault when really mm. it's because we haven't taken responsibility to cultivate it and construct it the way that we want. How do you think social media impacts that? I mean, it's, it's every day. Like I think it's a huge factor because algorithms only are going to show you what you want to see, which creates a, your own bias, strengthening your own view, which may not be the most empowering and definitely not all of the truth. Mm-hmm. One slice of the pie is not the whole pie, but we believe that it is. And so by doing that, then we alienate other potential thoughts that can help bring out qualities in us that we don't even think are there. You know, I think about this um, thought that I heard Chris Williamson and um, John Blank on his name. Uh, he has a podcast, his name's Stephen, Stephen Bartlett. And they were talking mm. about following people purposely that you don't agree with yeah, to expose yourself to different thought, which if you ask not 10 people, if they do that, I'm willing to bet that almost all of them don't. Right. Agreed. And since listening to that, I've actually followed people that trigger me to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I... I heard it, that conversation from Van Jones. Okay. Yeah. Where yeah. he was like, I, I follow uh, white supremacists. I follow, mm. you know, people who vehemently disagree with me, with who I am, with the body I'm in. Yeah. And he said, that's that way I can understand them when I sit down with them. I can understand them with compassion. And I was yes. like, wow, like here's this guy talking about this ultimate form of experience of hate. Yes. And he is finding love and compassion and You talked about how like opposing views, if we try to eradicate them, that's the gym. Like that's the gym. Why are we trying to save people from the gym? And so I started to follow people. I cannot, I did like, they really trigger me. Yes. But every time I see it, I I get this opportunity to compassionately witness someone else's perspective. I'm curious for you listening, if that's something you are open (laughs) to doing and, and who are the first people you think of that you vehemently don't want to follow? It's kind of wild to think of following them. Right. Or at least it, maybe it's even only a follow at first. Maybe it's just watching a video of theirs. Yeah. Right. And then seeing what comes up in you. The reason why I do it is I want to be a better communicator. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to connect to myself in a different way and also others. I think human need and desire is to find connection. And if we can do that through embodying compassion, first for ourselves and then for others, we're going to get more access to information. With that information, we'll have a better perspective on life, allowing for more richness to enter at any given moment. What do you think is the innate conflict of, because you talked about how the me, the I, right? Which I think social media is such a feeder of self. Absolutely. I'm curious where you see the intersection of the 
what do you call it? Self. Unselfing. Unselfing. Mm -hmm. So like where you, how do you even identify that you're selfing? Yeah. And then how do you begin to unself? Yeah. It's, it's exposure to environments that, that are inspiring. I think first it's Mm -hmm. like, um, if we always do the things that we're used to doing, going to the places we always go to, talking to the same friends, having the same conversations, there's a lot of sameness there. There's yeah. not a lot of room for innovation or curiosity or creativity. So it's going to be harder for awe to find you in those moments. But when you go to new environments purposely, intentionally, mm-hmm. not being attached to it, having to go some way, attachment being the key word there, yeah. then you you place yourself in the opportunity for things to find you. If you're trying to force it, then that's you bringing what you think would an awe moment would be right, right. into the I'm moment. Go create awe. Exactly. Awe finds you, but it finds you through getting out of yourself in a lot of ways. And so I think if you're, at, if you're wondering, if, am I thinking too much of myself? Then you got to analyze, I think, your behaviors. Yeah. Are you isolating more so than you need to? Are you, are you uh, when you talk about anything in your life, is it centered around like, I need this. I need to go spend time here. I need, I need, I need, I need. And maybe it's less about service. It's less about what others are doing. It's less about how you can contribute to your company, your family, your community. I think it's just being mindful, first and foremost, like of your language and how you, what, what is going on in your head. Mm. because whatever that narrative is, is what you're going to do with your actions. So I would start there. And, you know, a lot of self-care nowadays is really just an excuse to get out of responsibility and focus so much on yourself to the point where you don't have to do anything for anyone else except for you. Uh, That's interesting because that line of, you know, if someone is very Mm self-abandoning, you know, they abandon their own needs, wants, et cetera. As soon as we start to claim ourselves, and even discover ourselves, we're often labeled as selfish. Yeah. But there is, if you look at, let's say, the uh, the sort of founding ethos of places like the United States, it is independence, it is liberty, and there's nothing wrong with that. I actually yeah. think that was a, an inspiration for the world. Now, how free are we really is a whole other <laughs> yeah. question. Sure. But it did inspire... Um, creation for self creating and which feeds the, you know, the mm-hmm. capitalism has created that there's a lot of sure for you listening. There's a lot of failures of capitalism. It's not a perfect system. None right. of them are, but where is the line where it's like selfishness Yes, versus, cause I, I agree with you. There's a level of self care right. that can be uh, a, a block to connection and intimacy. Like it's a wall so that we have to, we don't have to open up. Right. So I'm curious, where do you think even that right. differentiation? I, I think it comes back to one's goals or desires or visions. Like if you are sitting there in your car, in your house thinking like, I want my life to be one rich of deep connection with people. Yeah. And then you analyze what you do when you're around people. And the moment it gets hard or you get into a topic that you don't want to talk about, you withdraw. You say, you know what? I just need to take some time. I need to really ground in myself and take care of my energy, right? Which, which could be valid. But really, if you're being honest with yourself, is that an attempt to avoid something that's uncomfortable that could open the doors to more depth? Mm. 
more connection. I think that the honesty needs to be there when you're analyzing and self-reflecting on how you're showing up to the world. And I'm not here to say that there's a right way or a wrong way. It's just, what are you, what do you say you want and what actions are you doing that correlate with that? And if they don't correlate, Mm. then there's no integrity. Hey, right. And if there's no integrity, then your word is not meaningful. And then that creates an internal conflict that then lowers confidence because you're going to say something, but you're going to counteract it with your actions. So how can you even trust yourself if what you're saying you want, you don't even put effort in to do? That's a savage truth right there. (laughs) It is because when you can pay attention to the reality of that audit, like I say, I desire this. I say, I value this. I don't do those things or I very seldom do them. And then I think of what that does to the mind. Yes. Right? Like, so how does being out of integrity with your own word impact the mind? It creates a, a, a distortion. It, it's how, how can uh, I, I don't yeah. even know who I am at that point. That's interesting. So it creates a distortion because your actual sense of self is, you're not connected to reality. Yeah, or your reality is shifting so fast, so often. It's like, which one is real? And I don't know. The one that I'm believing is real right now is the one that's Uh, real. Yeah, like the performative. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I want to think about this. So I can't feel grounded or trust in myself because myself is constantly orienting to whatever is influencing me, which is causing me to abandon my own values. Wow. Yeah. And people don't take time to identify their values. They think it's some, you know, self-help exercise. Like I've heard that before, but it's like, do you actually do it though? Yeah. Like there is no pun intended value (laughs) to finding your values. It creates the framework. Yeah. It creates the structure Mm. on which you base your decisions. And if you don't have that, then you're more like a tumbleweed blowing in the wind. Yes. As opposed to a tree that's rooted that can bear fruit, you know? And a question that that I came upon the other day that I really liked was, Who are you when no one's watching? Mm. That's where integrity is. Because it's easy to be motivational or consistent when people are watching and you know that they're watching, right? It brings out a different quality in us. But what if that's not there? What are you really about? What is really important? What do you want to want? Mm. Not what do you want. Yeah. Because oftentimes what you want is what you think other people think you should want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's more of that, as I think more of it, we're really talking about what you started with, which is that these are versions of the self that are constructed. And I, I remember reading Stealing Fire. Mm-hmm. And Great in book, it, yeah. They, yeah, it's such a good book. And in it, they talked about how when people are in flow states, mm-hmm. they say things like, oh, it felt like time stood still. Yes. Right. And I think in the research on that, which uh, it looks and it, when people are in flow states, their prefrontal cortex shuts down, right? Yeah. And so the prefrontal cortex is in charge of creating a self. So I thought about this. Okay, well, if you're constantly wearing masks, then you can never be fully present. You're actually always micro seconds behind the present moment because you're spending cerebral time creating an image. Yes. That is, so you're not ever present, which is sad because I think that's, I've been there. Yeah. We all, we all been, I've all yeah. been there. I still catch myself. I might be there right now. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, like you do. Right. 
but even you might even behind be, be behind the moment, but you also could be ahead of the moment. Mm. Right. This is something that I've talked about at, mm. at Nike this year was all about being present. You know, one of the departments that I spoke at is one of the most diverse teams at Nike. They have so many different time zones, projects, their work affects billions of people. Oh, and the wild. importance of being present is something that I wanted to share. Right. Yeah. And so we talked about time and and time being well, you have your past, your present, and your future, but we're always in the moment. Tomorrow never comes because when it gets here, it's today. Right. Right. So we're always here. But then while we're here, we're superimposing this moment with past moments, predicting future moments. So you have this stacking of moments that you're building on top of this moment, which creates a, a, a pressure that almost speeds up time. Right. And so when you are present, when you ask an athlete, what was your best performance? When you were like, what happened in that 30 seconds where you were a different person? You're like, I don't know. I was in the zone. Yeah. I was in the flow. Time slowed down. Well, maybe time didn't slow down. Maybe you, you were just on time. Mm. Maybe you were just one with time. What are the components that create that? Because you're talking about awe. So I'm curious, what are the components that... Of being on time? Yeah. Of it, I, think, I think we all want this. Right. I want it. Yeah. Literally, I want to be on time and... Right, right. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things here. I think one is having some sort of, of directionality, right? I, I, you could sit here and, and the direction could be, I want to just appreciate everything in this room and notice as many new things as I possibly can. That's a direction, right? Mm-hmm. And then... You're not married to the process of what that looks like, but you have some sort of intention that you're bringing into the moment, yeah. which, which guides the focal point, right? And that ties to what the, uh, the SEALs do in these very uncertain, chaotic moments where bullets are flying and shit's going wild, right? Wild. I'm stressed about podcast <laughs> interviews and <laughs> right. shit. They're yeah, this is the elite of the elite. Yeah. But what they do is they create micro missions, micro certainty moments amidst extreme uncertainty. Interesting. And that is giving your brain a directive, a mission to complete. Right now, my mission is to get from this room to that room. That's what I'm certain of. And that certainty can create a level of certainty in my nervous system to the point where I can block out a lot of the uncertainty yeah. and, and move. And so in a conversation, if, you're, if your direction is to win, that's going to create a different vibe. If your direction is to experience this person and learn more things, that's going to bring another level of presence into this conversation. That's going to change that dynamic. And you'll be less concerned about how you sound, what point you're trying to make, and you're going to be more concerned with what can I learn from this person? So that curiosity, that uh, wonder is going to bring more systems online to help you be in the moment to capture more information. Mm -hmm. And the more information you capture, the better decisions you make, the more you learn, the better your productivity is, the the better your performance is. And that stacked over time just builds muscle of being able to snap back into the moment when you notice the mind wanders. And the mind wanders all the time. Research out of Harvard shows that 47% of the time, our minds are wandering. Just yeah. So the skill is recognizing when that happens and bringing it back into the moment, especially when the moment is painful. 
because that's when people don't want to be present. Is there any better feeling in the world than when you crawl into a freshly made bed, especially one that has silky sheets that it feels like a giant hug, like a cuddle fest when you get in? Now, I've been traveling a lot lately, and every time I go to sleep in another bed, I miss my cozy earth sheets. Now, any guest that stays at our house also stays in a bed adorned with cozy earth, and they always wonder, what are the sheets I'm sleeping in? And I got to tell you, these are the best high-quality sheets that I've ever had the pleasure of sleeping on. And even my wife, Kylie, will agree, there are no other sheets that compare. They're soft, they're silky, and they're so comfortable, and you just melt into them. The reason they're so soft is that they're made from viscose, from bamboo fabrics, which is softer than cotton and, as a huge bonus, is responsibly and sustainably sourced. Now, on top of that, it's temperature regulating, which means it keeps you cool and comfy all night long, and the unbeatable luxurious feel helps turn your bed into the most cozy sanctuary ever. Now, I'm not the only one who's crazy about these sheets. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list for five years in a row. So give their sheets or any of their awesome products a try. They have 10-year warranty on all their products and a 100-night sleep test to try it out for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, you get your money back. But I do know that you're going to love them just as much as I do. And they're offering you, my listeners, a massively generous 40% off discount. That's right, 40% off. Just go to CozyEarth.com and use the code GROVES for 40% off their products. That's CozyEarth.com and use the code, my last name, G-R-O-V-E-S, for 40% off. And there's, if we expose ourselves consistently to things like the news, we will constantly be in suffering. You know, and I, I remember, I forget which video YouTube influencer it was, but he was saying that they colonized all the land on the planet. And so they can't get more land. And now they're coming for every second of your life. And he's like, they're colonizing the mind. And I thought, wow, what an interesting perspective to just, we might not agree with that, but I think we can at least come to some probably agreement that if companies make money from our attention, Mm -hmm. then it is, and their share held. So it's not, he says, it's not anyone's fault. Like these are organisms mm-hmm. that are mad. They're just trying to extract and make more shareholder value. Well, shareholder value is not correlated to mental health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So if it means the, comp- the compromise of that, then so be it. And so when I think about what you're saying, which is how do I come back to presence? How do I be in all these moments where I'm mindfully, intentionally yeah. being with you yes. and not thinking, you know, there's research where it shows that if people on a date have their phone face up, they're less vulnerable. If it's face down, they're less vulnerable. If it's in their pocket, even, because their mind is constantly thinking about, there's there's RAM being used yes. to think about that. So how do I knowing that there's a biological extraction going on, like there's a very real neurochemical experience or neurohormonal, is that the right term? Experience when I use a phone and I get dopamine. Mm-hmm. How do I, as a human, <laughs> make it or, or build, like what are the tools I can use to both use social media or my phone for yeah. things, yeah. but at the same time, get to what you're saying, which that sounds fucking delicious, right? Like, to sit with each person and be able to, to be in wonder and curiosity. Mm-hmm. So how? 
I mean, I'll tell you solve, how I do it. Solve it all. Right? <laughs> how I do it is I, I reference values a minute ago because that provides structure on how I live my life. Yeah. It, it lets me know who's best to be in my life and who isn't. It doesn't mean that who isn't is a bad person. It just means that there's a lot of people out there and I can't please everybody. And I have my own life that I want to design and build. And, you know, I'm going to learn from everybody, but those people that I keep close are going to help me build that lifestyle. Yeah. And so within those values, I have presence being one of those values. I value presence and what you value, what you appreciate, appreciates. So if I value and appreciate presence, not only am I going to recognize it in people when they're with me and they're present or when they're present in a moment, but you see what you seek. So Mm. if I'm seeking presence, I'm going to find presence more. I'm going to recognize it in you. I'm going to recognize it in a conversation that I'm witnessing from afar. I might even recognize it more in myself. And the more the awareness builds around what you desire and more times that you're in it, the better you get at being in it. And so it has to start with some sort of framework. Like that's the direction. Like the roots of the tree you exactly. were talking about. Like where, where do you want the tree to be? You want right. to be in Italy? You want yeah. to be in like South Africa? Like where, where's your place? Get that. Then start rooting into those values. Because until roots take place, that tree can't grow. Yeah. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't grow another tree. That doesn't mean that you're stunted by how, how much that tree can grow. But it helps to establish something. And if we're not established in something, then we have no no metric to know where progress is because what's important everything's important if everything's important nothing's important yeah i think about that from the framework when people are looking for someone you know relationship (laughs) and i'm like have you ever written out what you're looking for and they're like well no i'm like yeah because if you did one you'd be accountable yeah but you'd also be clear what i love what you said what you seek what you see what you you see what you seek yeah which if if you establish what you're seeking in a partnership, then you'll start to see people who are actually that. Absolutely. And you'll also see when people are not. And then it's, can we be in the integrity to say no to what is not? Because most of us follow the tickling of our loins, mm-hmm. which I've done that. So this is not a shaming. Uh, this is a, a transparent moment, <laughs> uh, a moment of ownership. So... When my life truly changed when I wrote out and created what my values are, but then I made integrity be that I'm I must at all times strive. Yes, because I don't think you can ever always right. be in, but strive to be in integrity with what those are. And when I'm not, I come back. And I, you know, it's easy to get trapped in the out. But before we even get into like that alignment piece. What are some ways that you help people establish what their values are? Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts with a few questions. I think one question you can ask yourself is, when's the last time you felt proud? Mm. Proud of something. Could be proud to be a parent. It could be proud of a job promotion that you got. It could be that you started your own business. It could be that you raised the funds to donate to a charity, whatever it is. But Finding a moment that where you're proud of, and then when you have a series of those moments, deconstructing those moments for what what is centered in those moments. Mm. Is it connection? Is it growth? 
Is it challenge? Is it love? Is it creativity? Is it fun? So what are you proud of? Um, When was the last time you felt fulfilled? Like genuinely full of life, right? Well, last time I felt like that was when when I did something for someone. Ah, service contribution, um, philanthropy, right? That might be the essence of those experiences. And then you might say, uh, another question could be, when's the last time I felt joy? I felt joy when I had a really good laugh with my friend. I felt joy when I traveled to a new place. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, bump, bump, bump. And you start, you start isolating these experiences from my life. You go to the archives of our mind intentionally. You comb through and then you start to find some, some key words. And that is the beginning of forming what's important. So if I look at what I'm proud of, when I felt fulfilled, when I was joyful, wh- where I learned the most, when was the last time I felt like I learned a lot? Okay, great. That's going to pinpoint like what, what lights you up. Yeah. And what comes from that might be service, love, relationships, care and creativity. Five words. Okay. Now I have these five words that are tied to some of my most richest experiences. Yeah. Right. And how often am I living these? Oh man, that audit could suck. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But But what a gift, what a gift of liberation. Exactly. And if you're not living those values at all in a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, well, no wonder why you feel immense conflict. You know, for you listening or watching, if even the thought of doing this process brings you grief, which it brings me grief just thinking about, oh man, I forgot about that, mm-hmm. you know, or it's been a while. Mm-hmm. I think of what uh, often brings me most alive or I have a sense of pride, which pride is, can be really healthy. Yeah. It is healthy. It it's is a healthy, healthy emotion um, because we get to observe a sense of self, yes. like, you know, and and what did we stand for? What was important to us? I think when people establish a boundary, you mm. get this sense because a boundary preserves wholeness. And power. Right. And wholeness, integrity is mm-hmm. rooted in that word. And so when I think of things that I've stood for that matter to me, that are important, uh, despite feedback, that there's a trust that comes with the self. And when we grieve the absence of a value being integrated in our life, I think we'll then just not go towards it because we have shame. But what I hear you're saying is <laughs> really there's no choice. You got to go towards it because if you don't go towards it, you end up directionless. And then you end up not in the richness of this present moment. Yes. Right. And, you know, we were, you were saying like maybe one of those moments that you felt most alive was when you were in connection. You yeah. said connection. And I thought, I saw a video the other day where there was two screens and it was a father sitting on the edge of his bed. Mm-hmm. One of them, the father was looking at his phone and the other one, the father had no phone in his hand. And it was the same kid. They both came in, right, in both videos. And the one, he came in right into his father's arms. And his father was like, I lifted him up and, you know, you know, interacted with him. And the other one, he came in, his father was using his phone and he was like touching it, trying to like, hey, look like at I'm me, here. Me, yeah. 
And I thought, man, for us, it's so easy. I very seldomly use my phone around Jasper unless there's a necessary thing because of that. Because I think of, I never want him to think I'm less important than yeah. the people who aren't my son. But man, it's it, it's not to shame anybody no. or, or to say, hey, like, well, it is to say, put down your phone. But to not shame anybody, but to have the awareness that we're throwing important values like connection. We think connection to like people on social media is actually richer. But I don't think biologically you'll ever get what you, you get from this. You won't. Right. And so that presence, that like... It's the greatest gift. Yeah. And how many of us actually trade the richness of this moment for what you said about stacking future moments. Mm-hmm. When you talked about that, are you talking about essentially the idea, you know, I've heard Tony Robbins say like biography is not destiny, mm-hmm. but it does shape. So when I you're saying these past moments, is that unprocessed stuff, processed stuff? Is it all of it? Yeah, I mean, so Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made. Phenomenal book. But basically what she identifies in that uh, in that book and also in a TED Talk, that's probably one of the most downloaded TED Talks, was that the brain is constantly predicting. So it's in any moment, your emotions aren't what people think they are. They aren't built in. It's something that you're creating in the moment, which is a really mm. like, whoa thought. That's an interesting detachment correct because people think that emotions just come up they're just in me somehow and they get triggered not the case Mm. you are actually actively constructing the emotion in the moment based on what you're seeing and the context and cross-referencing that from past moments to predict a future moment Mm. right so so to, to, to go back to your kind of question is like, okay, so what's happening in that moment? You're, you're, we're, we're trying to simulate a potential future. The brain is like designed. Predict what might happen right. given all these information to keep variables. us safe, mm. right? So if, if we don't cultivate a level of belief that we're going to be safe, then we're going to stay kind of stuck in that more so than if the moment is safe because the intention is not on being safe. It's on being connected or it's on something else. It's going to be less like rigid and like hyper-focused and it can relax and become more ex- expansive. Yeah. You expand your awareness. Exactly. And, and the mind is, a, is, a, is addicted to that process because it's built that way. And so one of the hardest things to do is to rise above that. And I'm reminded of a, a moment where Marina Abramovich. I think at the Museum of Modern Art, a couple, maybe 2018-ish timeframe, sat for, I think it was like 40 days in a chair in the museum in front of strangers in complete presence. She called it the artist is present. And she sat in a wooden chair. Damn, that's a Vipassana. Right? And people would just come in and sit down and have a moment, a, a few minutes with her just complete presence, nothing, no talking, just eye contact. People would cry, they would laugh. She would obviously stay composed, but like she was present. Yeah. And I thought, like, wow, like one of all, one, first of all, what a feat 
Yeah. Right? Bathroom, noises, cameras flashing. At least a lazy boy. Like you're chilling <laughs> right? in a wooden chair. Right. Yeah. And, and so it made me think like, okay, one, this is a desirable state. Two, it's, it's possible to get there. Three, we just have to rid ourselves of the attachment to have to figure things out or to have to have a moment go a certain way. Yeah. This conversation needs to get here. Does it? Or can it evolve? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have your intentions. Maybe you have an outcome that you're looking for, but you're not married to how it unfolds. Yeah. Which I think allows the relaxation necessary for you to be absorbed into the moment as opposed to being an observer of the moment. Yeah, not be in it, but try to shape it. Yeah. Yeah. You're co-creating it with time and with the environment, with the people. So that thought process automatically kind of takes you out of like step one, two, three, four, five. And it's like one, seven, two, four, five, ten. Yeah. We got there and it was a dance and it was messy, but hey, I I I was there for it all. Isn't that how life works? I mean, even as much (laughs) as you try to control it and predict it, you know, we I think of that in the context of relationship. We try to say there under no circumstances can this relationship end. Right. But because of that, we don't get to be present because any conversation that might threaten the stability of the relationship mm-hmm. will likely be avoided. Or what you're saying, if I have a history where I look at my childhood and mm-hmm. my parents' relationship ended in divorce or it ended or within it was a lot of conflict, maybe abuse, things like that. If I'm not unconscious, if I'm not consciously exploring the stories mm-hmm. that I've witnessed, mm-hmm. then I'm afraid that if I create relationship, they're going to go to the same places. Correct. And that's how all those former experiences live in the present, which then I wonder, oh, why am I choosing unavailable people? Why am I choosing shitheads? Why am I, and no offense yeah. if, if you're a shithead, <laughs> but like, why am I choosing these things? Yes. Because I'm staying in the, 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 the memories are stacking. And my own behavior is because I haven't audited or explored these the wisdom that is so beautifully present in the experiences of suffering. If I can tap into the wisdom, then I can change the present, which means I can create a different outcome, which I think about how interesting that is because actually the different outcome, even though it's one we desire, ends up being something we avoid. Why do we do that? Why do we avoid a desirable, beautiful future. Why? Why do we avoid a desirable future? Yeah, like why do I want a familiar, shitty present, which can sometimes be true, right? The repeated because you, cycles. Because you know it. I know, but that's not enough. It's frustrating. Make but, it make more sense. That's okay, too so, simple. So Phil no, Stutz is a psychiatrist, psychologist. He created a uh, documentary series on Netflix with Jonah Hill. It's like Jonah Hill's. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe seen you've seen it. If, yeah. you, if you haven't listening, I think it's worthy of seeing. But he has these three truths. He's like, no matter what you do, where you come from, how old you are, socioeconomic status, demographic, whatever, these three truths are true of life. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience uncertainty. And you're going to experience work, some sort of work. Those are the three things you cannot get out of. Uncertainty being the one that most people struggle with. Mm -hmm. So every moment we're trying to find certainty in uncertainty. Right? Yeah. We're trying to create the facade of it. Correct. So 
I, I, in order to do that, I have to create a story about what's happening for it to make sense for me to relax into some form of certainty so that I don't get swept up into the uncertainty. Right? Yeah. And so by creating that level of certainty, I really can only do that for most people by referencing what's been in the past. And if what's been in the past is pain, abuse, trauma, all these things that I haven't yet processed, healed from, worked through, got the wisdom from, then I'm just going to keep projecting that same reality onto the moment via the story that I'm telling about the moment. So if I want something new, I'm going to have to stop doing that, which means I'm going to have to jump off the cliff into the uncertainty and not know how it's going to go. Yeah. But if I do that, I might get hurt. So I have to control Mm -hmm. quotations, control, right? And so then I create barriers then I create defense mechanisms then I create the behavior to prevent the thing that I fear most from happening, which actually ends up creating more of those moments for you to fear. Uh, The irony. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. So it isn't until you let go enough to recreate from the unknown that you can attract the desired future that you're wanting. It's the same thing like if you want what you've never had, you have to do what you've never done. Mm. If you're walking through your life the same way and you're not happy with that, how that's going, one, you can change. But two, you got to take responsibility for those thoughts that you think. Because you aren't your thoughts. You're the observer and the selector of the thought. Huge realization that one needs to have. And if you're like, well, I don't know about that. Sit for 15 seconds and and just observe your thinking and just notice what you think. Like take a piece of paper out and then write down all the things that you're thinking. I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about money. I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about where I'm going after this. Okay. Who was noticing those thoughts? Was it your mind? Was it your brain? Or was it something that was bigger than that, observing what that thought process was? You know, so you're, you're, you can observe your thoughts. And if you can observe them, you can select them. And if you can select them, you construct a new meaning through choice on what has happened to you, what is happening, and what will happen. And learn to trust in that to the point where new behaviors are embodied new results are had, new realities are experienced. This is some meta shit. Yeah. That's like taking that third person step out of one's own experience. And most of us don't think about how we think. No. But to begin to think about how you think, that means that you have distance from thinking. Correct. Which if we're automated to, you know, have the same thoughts for years and years and years and years and years, mm-hmm. whatever year we are listening to this <laughs> or watching this, then to actually take an, a breath and to actually create distance with that, I mean, it's so liberating. And I think of the, uh, I was talking to this, um, he's a Zen monk and a marriage and family therapist. His Love name that. is Koshin. And he was saying that there's a Zen quote that if it's not a paradox, it's not true. (laughs) And I think about how when you have the recognition that you take distance from your thoughts, then you recognize that your thoughts have been running your whole life, but now you have choice. Yes. So now you have to grieve how thoughts have been running your whole life Mm -hmm. and you chose programs that aren't actually 
haven't been productive to the things that you value. Right. Or at one point were productive. Yeah, true. Right? Survival-based production. Yeah. So then, so, so grateful uh, for that. But now they may not serve this new chapter. They, that helped when you were eight yeah. or 16, but you're 35 now. And you have new responsibilities and new levels of influence and impact for your family, for your business, for your community, that your, your software is outdated. I think about pattern disruptive statements, you know, and um, in the book from Koshin, it's called Untangled. He was talking about how his husband was, was really interested. There was a woman with a shaved head and he said to one of the other, one of the other people in, in the space, oh, I, I, I feel so bad. Like she has cancer. And the guy was like, she doesn't have cancer. She's a Zen monk. Mm. And so he <laughs> went and spoke to her and I'm paraphrasing this story, but he went and spoke to her and he said, it was like this intense presence, right? Yeah. And <laughs> the piece of advice that the monk gave him was, <laughs> you need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I was like, That's so great. Yeah. But I think about how we sometimes need this disruptive thing, which is that you said, Hey, that helped when you were eight, it helped when you were 16, but you're 35. Mm -hmm. And we need to sometimes meet that level of accountability. That's like, you're not a fucking kid anymore. And you can have compassion for where those behaviors come from. Yep. But there's a difference between compassion and tolerance. And if you tolerate your own dysfunctional behaviors, it means you're going to tolerate dysfunctional behaviors from others. That's right. And like, if you're not clear, as you were saying on your values, then you're going to just oscillate around to other people's values. There's this great TED talk that's about um, management of time. Mm. And in it, he said, if you don't create and design your life for you, someone else will design it for you and you won't like what they come up with. And I was like, that's so true. But I think about how so much of the life that we've currently created, and I think this is true in layers, it, it, it reveals itself in layers. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what you think about this, which is that most of our lives are curr currently constructed on who we were taught to be, what society says is valuable, yep. what it means to be whatever gender, race, whatever we are, mm -hmm. all the identifiable things that then create, the mind creates a construct of like, if I'm these things, I'll be safe. I might be celebrated. I'll get more likes. Right. But the unraveling of that, or as he talks about untangling, is, is a terrifying experience because you have to deal with the mortality of all the actors you've brought into this world, which is the confrontation of death. Uh, uh, uh. Mm. What do you think? Okay. I might need you to repeat that last part, but what came up for me is, you know, when we, when we wear these masks and we project a certain way out to the world, then we're going to attract the people that are attracted to that. If we wear masks, then other people, like if I don't know what my values are, yep. if I wear masks, yep. then I will naturally be unable to discern people who wear masks and don't have values either. I won't be able to discern whether their values are in alignment or they are in alignment Correct. because I'm not in alignment. Sure. So the yes, the thing that I blame them for, I'm actually projecting <laughs> yes. from my own inability to be rooted in my word and my integrity. It's like, if I can't trust me, I'm not going to be able to choose people I can trust because I don't even know what trust feels like. Right. So I don't have the somatic imprint 
So when it's in my life and I'm like, oh, why do I keep choosing people who cheat and lie? It's like, well, you can't trust yourself if you choose people who cheat and lie. That's right. Like, so it's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? It doesn't matter because the lesson's here. Right. So fucking become 35. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's And my take rant. control of, of your life by defining it. And you can't take control without, as you were saying earlier, without defining it, you can't actually take ownership. You can't. Well, How can you? Right. What are? What would you take control of? What would you take accountable of? The the moment that someone said you were something, you're going to take ownership of that. It didn't come from you. Right. So then you're going to be enslaved to someone else's opinion that is always going to keep you acting in a certain way that isn't really what you want. So there's the disconnect. There's the energy drain. You wonder why people wake up and they're just zombie-like every day. It's because they have these obligations that they've allowed to be a version of themselves that they don't want to be, to do things that they don't want to do. And I'm not saying that there's going to be periods of time where what you're doing is sucking because you're trying to get to an outcome. I I changed a poopy diaper this morning. (laughs) I get it. Right. Life is going to throw some curveballs at you. But overall, like if we're looking at a five, 10 year span of time, like there are choices there that dictate where you're going. And if you're not willing to look at those choices, then people who are saying things like what I'm saying, they're going to be triggering to you and you're going to get offended and you're going to be like, this is stupid. This person doesn't know what they're talking about. But really that's an invitation for you because a trigger is a teacher to look in and say, why are you being triggered? Are you being triggered because part of it you know is true and you're just not taking the time to do it? That's how I feel. Whenever someone says something triggering to me, especially my wife, and she calls me out on something, I'm like- I sometimes I'll just walk away and I'm like, damn it, James, like, you know, she's right. And I'm like, ah. that is like the one of the most painfully beautiful truths. <laughs> right. Yeah, It's one of those. <laughs> and if we can orient to the trigger as being information, then now we have an opportunity. I remember hearing Jordan Peterson say once, mm. and like him or not, <laughs> this is actually a really good insight. Yeah. And he said, every trigger is an invitation to mastery. Mm. Because within a trigger is a deep level of our own suffering. This is how I took that of like, oh yeah, if I'm triggered, that means I have a hypersensitivity to something, Mm -hmm. which means I haven't fully processed it, which means I have an opportunity. And if I can actually be with the suffering of whatever previous moment created that trigger, because it's an origin, if I can go to the moment and look, what did I need? Who did I need to become? Because if we're still triggered, it means we haven't become it. Yes. And so we can cultivate the wisdom from it. And then I think of when you work with someone and they say, well, I thought I did all this work and then I got triggered. And I'm like, listen, it's not about the eradication of the trigger. It's about changing how you respond to it. And that's actually the wisdom. But triggers themselves are really wise radars and defense mechanisms. Even uh, freeze, fawn, fight, all those things. Like we were talking about, if the past moment has trauma in it, it has things that we haven't Mm -hmm. fully resolved in our nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's not about... I hate the trigger. It's like, it's there to protect you, but yes, it is possible that it's limiting you right. from creating a life surrounded by your values. I love this. Right. It's so true. And it's like the equivalent of like, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali said, I didn't count reps until it started to hurt. Uh, he's got so many zingers. Right? Like, but, but, but they're zingers because they're his truths. Yeah. He's not saying something that he, he didn't a poet. do. And he was like, he's so artistic, his right? His performance of verbal, like, oh, oh he's yeah. unbelievable. Incredible. And, but that was his style. He was one of one. He as was we so all authentic. Yeah. You know, that's like, 
one way that it, when people have a hard time figuring out what they value, one of the questions I like to ask people is, who do you admire? Because mm-hmm. usually who you admire, they embody values that you desire to have. So all you do is just take their value. Yeah, you know, right. You just copy their values. And I think about someone like Muhammad Ali, I think why people like him embody such a radical sense of self mm-hmm. without, like, look at what he did. He said, I'm not going to war yeah. at the height of my career. And whether you agree with Yokovic or not, he said, I'm not going to put something in my body because it's not for me. Yeah. And he got fucking roasted. lambasted. Yeah. Roasted. And he, he said that he was willing to never get the amount of titles that would have broken the records and made him the greatest player of all time. He was asked, are you willing to trade that? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Playing a different game. Right. Because they're saying... I'm, my values Mm -hmm. matter more than your opinion of my values. There's a (laughs) level of self-trust that comes from that, that type of embodiment. We might not agree with them in the moment, but you look back at when Muhammad Ali said that and people were like, you're not patriotic. You're not, he went to prison. Mm -hmm. But now we look back and go, he was on to something in that moment. Right. He was, he was present. Yeah. He was shattering the known shattering the norm and anytime that happens it's like oh what's going to happen now and anytime there's large amounts of mystery people always fill it in with their insecurities their fears and their projections so it's natural that someone who trailblazes who leads their life who does things that almost everyone doesn't do that what comes after that is an expectation that things are going to be worse which is change Mm. but that's not the case things could be better right right And And they likely will be with that embodied sense of self. So if we all want, like when you talk about establishing values, getting rooted in them, living a life in alignment with them, Mm -hmm. uh, you're really talking about becoming a trailblazer within your own life. Yeah. I mean, a leader of one is a leader of many. And within your family, within, because if you could change, you know, I, I was talking to someone recently who said like, how can someone with a small following or a follow change the world? like, shit, are you kidding me? Like, what is that uh, African <laughs> proverb that if you don't think little things could change the world, you haven't spent the night uh, in a room with a mosquito? <laughs> I think it's something like that. Something like that. But the the essence cool. of it is true. Yeah. Of like, we can just through the oscillation of moving our lives to our values. What I know to be true is that then generally is very disruptive to the system we're in because the system itself has valued the abandonment of self-values for the system. Right. Which this is interesting because if you think about where we started with the conversation about the overt identification of self, but when you're in that, you lose the opportunity for awe. Yeah. But when you're actually rooted in a self you can trust, does it open up? So if you're rooted in your values, now am I more open to awe? Yes. So the more clear you are on you, the less you focus on you. Because you're, you're not shaping yourself for people. That's right. You're not busy thinking about self. You are self. And then awe. Oh, my Boom. Lord. So then awe itself is the experience of you. Not, and, yes, go. Not being you. 
Or you not so you're being bigger as big as, yes. yes. That's so interesting. So there's the dissolution of the identification of the ego and the self. So that paradox, must That's be right. true, <laughs> is that I now am available to the awe of the world. And, oh man, in the research on psilocybin, mm-hmm. one of the things that was so profoundly changing for especially, I think it was ex-cons, mm-hmm. was... Um, the ones who had the psilocybin experience, just one, were dr- significantly less likely to ever reoffend. And when they were asked why, it was because they had experienced the, a sense of unity. Yeah. And when you don't have a self that's pivoting around other, you are in connection to other. That's so trans. It's such a mind fuck. It is. It is. It's so you have to understand self to kind of let go of self, but you also can let go of self and find self through a bigger landscape. Uh, which again, it, it's, repeat that. Oh, hold on. Yeah. Okay. So let me tap into my psilocybin <laughs> brain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. We're talking about unselfing, right? Yeah. This is where you feel smaller than the moment Yeah. or, or, or there's things are much more big. Yeah. The more clear you are on you, the less it is about you and the more inclusive you are of the big picture. The more involved you are in the big picture, the more inspiring and awe-like the picture becomes because there's so much to notice, Hmm. right? Yeah, because you're not busy in the ego. Correct. You're actually, you're noticing. Correct. Mm. And if you have more cerebral capacity for awareness. Yes. And the more you know, the more you don't know. Oh, that's that, uh, like the sayings, like he who knows not knows, he who knows knows not. Yes. Because the mystery. what you think you know is only a portion of what there is to know. So then you're like, oh, well, gosh, like how long does this go? Forever. <laughs> yeah, fucking forever. So you can't control that. So you, there needs to be a level of acceptance to that's just how it is. And know that there's levels to things, right? Which is why seeking a life of mastery is so vital, I believe, to fulfillment. Because it's less about I got to get this by this time. And it's more so about how far can I go? Mm. And people trip themselves up all the time, but I got to get abs in six weeks. I got to get a million dollars by next Christmas. I got to do da, da, da. And these timelines, you can't control the timeline, but what you can control is the effort that you put in every day, the skills that you build, the people you choose, what you represent. And that stacked day after day after day creates a compound effect that you could be, you could have 2 million instead of a million, but you limited yourself based on your own current thinking right. about what you think is possible, that if you just were to remove that, you would actually grow faster, experience more, and have more richness. Which would be the adoption of someone else's framework anyways. True. Or one that's you learned through whatever. Right. That's so true. When you begin to believe anything is possible, it is destabilizing because then you recognize the limitations you've lived within. Yeah. Which is like all of a sudden, if I'm like, oh, I'm going to oscillate my life around the values of integrity, health, whatever, mm-hmm. um, connection, respect, kindness, boundaries. If I say that, and then I do what you said, which is I look at my life and I, I, I audit every behavior I have and every person yeah. that I am close to, or am I in alignment with these things? And then, you know, the invitation is what would get it into alignment mm-hmm. if that's possible. Mm-hmm. But sometimes shit's got to go. Yeah. And that 
is such an honoring of self that, that, that that's that same inspirational quality we see in trailblazers, which is like, no, like I can't keep this going if it's not honoring, because if we're not honoring self, we're not honoring other. That's right. Right. Like if I say I value integrity or kindness, but I'm actually tolerating behavior that isn't, I'm violating mine and I'm violating theirs. Yes. I'm letting them continue to be toxic. Yeah. Oh, man. We all have a lot of shit to do, James. <laughs> Always. In the best way. Always. But what else is there to do, right? Going back to those three truths, pain, uncertainty, and work. Yeah. Work on self. Beautiful work, though. Yeah. Not that like spreadsheet kind of work. No. Although you could spreadsheet I mean, this. You, I've done, I've done that. <laughs> you guys have done that. <laughs> James, this is so good. I'm so excited we got to have this conversation, man. Um, and I know for people listening, they're like, oh, my fucking, what we got to? Oh. I know, I know. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with people on how to um, master presence and yeah. step into performance? Some, some things I want to uh, kind of mention is, uh, one, coming back to the idea that you predict, construct, and act. You are the architect of your experience. Those are... Lisa Feldman Barrett's words that I really, really like. So I think just thinking about that, know that there's levels to life and what you currently know is not all that there is to know. Mm. And a lot of life is following the understanding of what there is to know and, yeah. and loving that. Like life isn't done, that you haven't failed because it's not over. It's not over. And if it's not over, there's still time. There's still time. You could still be who you choose to be in this moment that changes the trajectory of everything. You could be the emotional uh, or the generational trauma eliminator. You could change the course of a business. You could change the dynamics of how a community operates by who you choose to be in the moment. That's on you. There's, there's, that's possible. So you have to like be able to step in that. Another thing I wanted to say is like a lot of people seek pleasure or happiness and like make that the goal. I don't think that's a, a, a viable goal. I think rather than being positive or happy, I think being purpose driven is much more per- important because not every moment you're in is going to be happy. And not- especially on the journey to your purpose. <laughs> How do you even uh, begin discovering what it is? The purpose? Yeah. Um, some, some kind of key principles. This kind of comes from Stephen Kotler mixed with some of like what I've seen in my own life and my clients is what problem do you want to help solve? Mm-hmm. Right. What do you have a natural inclination for? Like, what do you feel drawn to? Whether it's skill, occupation, hobby, um, that, or, or like what impact do you want to have on others? You know, what part of my mission is to, to help people live life on their terms through presence but also realizing that they're one of one. That is the superpower. No one else is like you. No one else can be like you. And the more you own that, the more rich this life becomes and the more dynamic. And the more dynamic, the more beauty there is to see. If we're just sameness everywhere, life becomes very boring and dull. Yeah, homogenous. Exactly. Yeah, that's, okay. So that is interesting in that I think about when we recognize the significance of and the magic and the statistical improbability that we would be here 
and no matter how we came in, right? Like, <laughs> like often we create so many stories about the family we came into or whatever, but it's like, it's a miracle that you're here, mm-hmm. that we're flying on a fucking rock through space that's spinning and we're still <laughs> somehow. And that all these things have colluded to give us this moment and we're going to fucking waste it like that. When you tap into just how important that is for self, that beautiful sense of self that doesn't require the yeah. conscious effort, yes, that then you are in touch with everything, which I then think about how, <laughs> another one, I then think about how that's how the actual universe works. Like, I remember years ago writing about how like an acorn and an oak tree are the same. Mm-hmm. It's just that the acorn hasn't become yet, but the actual oak tree exists in the acorn already. It's already there. Right. And I remember hearing a quote from Alan Watts where he said that the world exists in your optic nerve or do you exist in the world? Like, mm. is it in you or are you in it? Mm. And when we think about what you're inviting in that statement of like the transcendent, powerful, potent nature of the recognition of your significance. Yeah. Now, if you're significant, now what? Yeah. Like what, what do you got to become if you're going to be in integrity mm-hmm. with your significance? Don't waste that shit. Right. Right. And the moment you get that and take the, do the work to get that and establish that and live that, then it no longer has to be something that you desire because it already is. It's not like uh, some fucking Hopi mystery. It's like, it just is. It just is. Just become the oak tree. Stop trying to be a birch or a pine or a potato. Right. You're not those things. Let yourself be what you're you're here to be. So we've gone through the inspirational, motivational (laughs) aspect of all of this. We're still going to be with pain, as you said, one of the three truths. Mm -hmm. What do we do with suffering? Like, how do I be with suffering and have some sort of framework or inquiry that allows me to work through or move through while being generative? Yeah. So pain is going to happen. And through sitting in it, we can do one of many things, but usually one of two things is like, I can, I can stay so focused on the pain and believe that things won't change, which keeps me in this endless circle of suffering. Or I could say, what else could this mean? Mm. This breakup. It's ter- It's terrible. I'm crying. I'm broken. I feel like I've lost. I feel like that, 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 that. Yeah that could be true. What else could it mean? Could it mean that you're now free to be more of who you thought you were for another relationship? Could it mean that this is actually the best gift because now you're motivated to change? You losing that job, that puts you in a position that is really hard right now. You got to pay bills. You got to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, you're going to feel some stress and that's going to suck. What else could that mean? That could mean that now you have to really develop skills that are recession-proof. You have to, mm, right? That's like, so important. Yeah, so it isn't until we ask those types of questions that we get out of getting stuck in a very emotional, what can seem like real situation. So we have to understand that our mind can do that, but we have to give it the prompts to be able to do that. Otherwise, it's going to run circles. And that doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve anyone. Yes, there's a, that can happen for a day or two. But at some point, you got to transition out of that. 
That's moving from victim to victor, Correct. you know, to like into a sense of responsibility, which is not the negation of the grief and the pain and the suffering that comes with the uncertainty of, let's say, a job loss or mm-hmm. a market shift or a breakup or the loss of a life or an illness. It's like, how do I stay in power, men, in a world that I would say props up victimhood? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that to minimize anything, but I mean, like, if you look at studies where one person, two GoFundMes, one, they share their trauma, the other one, they don't, the one who shares their trauma gets more money. Right. That makes sense. We're empathic. But what it does is it can elicit unconsciously the desire to lead with our wounding mm-hmm. as opposed to not trying to lead with anything, but actual genuine, the effort to, to generate and create. Yeah. And I remember hearing in, um, uh, David Hawkins book, letting go, he said, nothing actually has changed in a recession other than shared behaviors and beliefs. And if you just say, I'm not going to sign up for all the characteristics that go along with that, which is again, not negating financial stress and all that kind of stuff. I'm not minimizing that. I'm saying if all of a sudden we don't buy in to the circumstances, people become zillionaires during recessions. There's also a massive market opportunity in businesses and in our whatever industry we're in because everyone else is shrinking. Yeah. Everyone else is preparing. We're like, imagine if you doubled down during that time. I think Grant Cardone talks about that, <laughs> that he like went all yeah. in when everyone was going all out. Right. Warren Buffett, same advice. Like when people are freaking out, that's the best time to go in. Yeah, you see that with the market reacts to some strange event. Yes. Like a plane crash, the market will sell all the stocks of that airline, but the value of the airline is still there. Right. And so that's good. It's good to buy. Right. At that well, time. it's like the monk that Don't you were talking about. Don't take my stock advice. I'm not, I'm not giving you any stock advice. <laughs> right. That person who saw the bald head, like you could look at a bald head and say, oh, that person has cancer. I feel really right. bad for them. Or they could be a monk and that's why they have a bald head. Like same situation. <laughs> right. Different stories. going to tell you to shut <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, man, I, I, I love talking about this stuff and I really do care for people out there. Like I want everyone to be able to live the life that they imagine. Not, not based out of ego or greed, but to get what they, what they need so that they can feel full so that it becomes less about them and more about the collective. Less independent and more interdependent. I mean, you're like a, a presence alchemist. I like it. <laughs> I'm trying to alchemist. I'm uh, curious for the people listening because I'm sure they're like, well, I want more of this to understand how the fuck I do all the things you guys just talked about. We've got yeah. some you know, simple takeaways. Uh, where can they find more of you? Yeah. I know you have a podcast, so yeah. where can they find all of that? I think Instagram has the most links. So uh, James underscore Silvis, Be That 1% is my podcast. Mark's been on it twice, always and hopefully another third time. Uh, but there I, I connect with people like yourself and, and I share my own insights on just, you know, what, what living a 1% lifestyle means, which is really just embodying one of one philosophy, you know? So, uh, if that resonates with you, would love to connect with you there. And I'm just, I'm here to serve. I create content on Instagram, YouTube and, uh, and the podcast. So just do my part. Awesome, brother. Really appreciate you. Thank you, man. Me too.